1: That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia
0: Office Falls Church VA 8447597732.
1: Have you ever had a dream about an Irish musician in which you had a romance?
0: I feel like something along those lines happened with Damien Dempsey in a dream many years ago, but I can't be 100% certain. All right. It definitely wasn't real life, so it must have been a dream. You did not dream before, crazy though, didn't
1: you? have had You've had the chats with Damo before, haven't you? I
0: have, yeah. Didn't get, um, didn't get romantic. Numerous no. times. <laughs> It never got romantic. No, although we had a very good conversation on numerous occasions. Yeah, I don't quite. There's know, something there. Hit I don't, me up, I, demo. I, I
1: I don't quite know how to feel about the dream that I had, which I'm alluding to, in which the participant will not be named. But ah, uh, oh, god damn it! Yeah, it was strange. It was, it, it, but I, I will say that it was very wholesome. And, you know, just I, when I woke was, up, I was kind of gutted, like, you
0: know, <laughs> wholesome is kind of different now, cause, like, even if there was holding, that is not permitted. <laughs> um, it, it did feel very
1: distancing. It, no, it did feel very transgressive. I should know, like, it wasn't a fucking X rated situation. It was a very kind of like, it felt like a kitchen sink drama, really, you know, because um, in my <laughs> are dreams, you a, are you a fan escape.
0: of this unnamed artist? Are you a big fan? yeah yeah it would be yeah
1: have
0: uh, they been uh, on your mind of late <laughs>
1: i'm not i'm not telling you who it is because that would be ridiculous so yeah and i don't want to let's yeah i feel like the longer this goes on the more it becomes a thing i don't want it to become a thing but i think it knows? should
0: become a thing i think people should guess online maybe maybe it's a I Get out here. maybe someday
1: <laughs> perhaps someday and then i can be like it was you at our wedding anyway uh where she hopefully will be playing at the wedding who knows uh i'm never getting married you getting married
0: uh at this stage probably not i don't know when we're getting out of house so that will be the first step in terms of actually meeting a human being and then you have to have like a semi-committed relationship before you take the step to marriage i think unless there's like visa stuff involved i don't know you want to get married let's get married me and you yeah like if are we going to do like a friend style if we're 40 and we haven't like got married let's have kids we could do it
1: I think it's brought on by the quarantine anyway look I'm going to start the show is dave Hanreddy and there will be no encore welcome to episode 209 of the no encore music podcast delighted to be back in action this week alongside my best friend craig fitzpatrick
0: ah that's <coughs> lovely of you to say my my other best friend my also best friend what's the way to reciprocate when that? me too i don't know it's not me too, anyway. Uh, that's very, pretty <laughs> well the established hashtag, it's right. Over the past
1: year or so. So yeah.
0: Uh, How are you doing, my dearest I'm okay. friends?
1: I'm okay. Congratulations on finishing Succession. Well done.
0: Ah, oh, I'm I'm still, can you hear my voice? I'm still on a slight high. It really cheered me up. It's been so enjoyable. The last few nights have been like, counting down the episodes. And like I was enjoying it from the get-go because the writing is so strong. The performances, you can really just kind of seep into it but in the last kind of couple episodes of season two and i'm giving nothing away it became proper like i can't wait to see what happens next tv um so yeah i'm i'm emotionally spent from it
1: well, you don't have to like, wait because season three won't be going into production anytime soon. But season two does have an amazing ending. I remember like punching the air, being like, get the fuck in. So, yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> so uh, also, a great show is No Encore. And on this week's episode, everybody, we will be reviewing the new album from The Strokes. We will be running down our top yes. five <laughs> Steady, We're on. Back, baby. Steady On. Steady <laughs> On. Fucking spoilers. We, uh, <laughs> will it be well received <laughs> by one of us, perhaps? Uh, we'll be running down our top five songs that are two minutes long or under. And we'll be having a chat with a man who actually went to real life gigs in recent days. There's this is also, fascinating to me yeah, either, yeah, there are gigs happening in Europe. Where in Europe you'll find out on the show at the end of the news section. So, yeah, essentially, um, what else is going on? I recorded a new episode of No Popcorn with Norma Howard and Dave Higgins. That'll be out soon. It's on the Bros documentary after the screaming stops, which is a high hardcore recommend from me for anybody who's never seen it. And also, yeah, just a quick plug for our Patreon page, which, of course, launched in the last couple of weeks, patreon.com slash noencore. It's enabled Craig to get a sexy new microphone. It's enabled me to get a, a less sexy new microphone stand, which I'm currently enjoying, <laughs> having free range of movement in my hands. That's nice.
0: And I will I'm also be- I'm enjoying your hand gestures. Yeah, I tell you. Uh, the listener is really missing out right now because it's quite alluring.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm a guest on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or something. Uh, oh,
0: so, ha- oh, is that is that like has that been screened so far? Like quiz is it?
1: Quiz, yeah, I haven't seen it, but it, it like prompted it prompted people on Twitter to like compile some of the best waves and people don't know how to wave essentially uh but people do know right, how right. to sign up to our patreon page and i want to thank everyone who's done it so far because uh, that number keeps rising which is great give us money uh patreon.com slash no encore <laughs> i have to get new microphones soon so i will definitely be dipping yeah. into the
0: money our- is really really sweet um do you know what i've been really heartened though as well just people kind of reaching out and like when you see actually the numbers of people supporting your show it's kind of it's a nice little boost at a time when everyone's kind of Morale is low. Um and of course, you know, if you're not in a position to give at the moment, we of course still love and adore you. Thank you very much for listening. It's a it's a wonderful little family we've got going.
1: Yeah, I am of course very much playing up my fake Vince McMahon, Scrooge McDuck alter ego. Any, any Oh no, every- give us
0: cash for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah.
1: yeah, you know, like those craft beers I had at the weekend won't pay for themselves. I swear I'm not actually doing that with the No Encore money, do not worry. <laughs> So yeah, uh, what else is going on, man? Into the news section. It's another busy week and it's it, like it's nice in a way because we're getting at least, the world is not back to normal and won't be for some time, but we're getting some kind of stories that are like non-coronavirus related, although there's still plenty yeah, of those. Yeah,
0: we're settling into the new abnormal to um, <laughs> tease the strokes again. Um but yeah, we've got an anniversary to celebrate as well. It's not all new news. David, you picked this one out. It was a seminal moment a decade ago when we we're all young, carefree, and getting into memes. Music is all magic. You can't even hold it. Do you
2: notice and recognize like
0: miracles? It's just
1: there in the air. Are you a believer in miracles? Pure motherfucking
2: magic. Right? This shit'll you blow the your like motherfucking nice mind. <laughs> Music is a lot like love It's all a feeling And it fills the room From the floor to the ceiling I see miracles all around me Stop and look around It's all astounding Water, fire, air and dirt Fucking magnets How do they work? And I don't want to talk
1: to a Yeah scientist. man, that is you of course The amazing Insane Clown Posse With <laughs> <the> incredible <laughs> Miracles Which just turned 10 years of age I think the track might have originated in 2009 But the video that essentially yeah, you know, did, Broke yeah. the internet back in 2010 what a simpler time it was. What a more magical time. Uh, ten years of Craig, yeah. Do you have uh, fond memories of this? Absolute jam? <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolute jam. <laughs> yeah, I found it hilarious at the time. Knowingly hilarious, of course, because uh, I'm in on the joke, as I am with everything. Um, oh, I don't really know how to feel about Insane Town Posse. I've got a real kind of respect for them creating this, like, universe and, like, world and kind of a cult. They're like... They're kind of like the modern Grateful Dead, aren't they? They're just totally their own country of music. Would you ever go to the gathering of the Juggalos? I mean,
1: if I was in a position to be sent on a journalistic expedition and I was able to be protected. Because, I mean, like you're kind of saying you don't (laughs) know how to best approach insane clan posse. Best avoided is what I would say in general. I mean, like, I
0: still... Performed, yeah. I think, at at one time, and was she got just like she, she got horrible berating beating. the crowd. I yeah, think she got, she I think she got physically
1: assaulted. Like that's horrific. Um, yeah, it was so, horrific.
0: Well, uh, miracles, however,
1: is a very wholesome song. It's about it is appreciating the finer things in life, and essentially, I mean, uh, even ten years on, I still don't know if this is meant to be a joke because uh, of all places, by the way. New York Magazine's Intelligencer, like, section, which is usually reserved for, like, highbrow <laughs> stuff, I think, ran a piece But a name on, like that, I mean... <laughs> yeah, ran a piece on, on on Miracles last week, and that's when I was like, oh my god, it's been ten fucking years. Um, uh, I mean, like, fair play to the lads. Uh, Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope, I believe, uh, for persisting for this long. It's, it's an, a song that became an instant meme. I found myself just walking around listening to it, without the video just to see if it worked in any capacity and i don't know man i don't know what it was if it was just the sun the way the sun was hitting as i was coming back don't after say my, it worked after my long walk i was like yeah i mean you look up in the sky and that is kind of a
0: miracle isn't it you know oh jesus it really makes you think <laughs> <laughs> your reality is even more messed up than your dreams right now i still don't understand magnets 10 years on so they're on something <laughs> It was a seminal moment. I don't know if I agree with the piece saying that, like, it, it kind of like is implied that it be Gash Gangnam Style two years later. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe it kind of got everyone in the mood for that. Just like slightly uncanny valley type stuff um, this is a
1: better song than gangnam style it's better than harlem shake it's better than most of these kind of things that came along if anything i was kind of like because they were big enough the youtube hits and you look back and there's not that many by comparison to today but it was a different time youtube was only about four or five years old i believe so
0: yeah well, maybe one day we'll get to go to the gathering and with a security team one festival we'll never get to go to is fire fest um and with coronavirus sweeping the world, um, the Firefest organiser, quite a cult musical figure himself now, Billy McFarland, has appealed for early prison release due to kind of health concerns. Which seems pretty legit. Now, you got six years um, for his hand orchestrating the whole Firefest Festival debacle. Um, but his lawyers are now arguing that he's got pre-existing health conditions, including asthma, allergies and heart issues which could, you know, become quite severe if he contracted COVID-19 in prison. There is precedent for this um, because, of course, Kashi69 was recently released as well. Um, I mean, I agree with the lawyers in terms of, yeah, like federal correctional institutions are probably a breeding ground for this kind of stuff. But also, I'm sure like everyone will be chancing their arm. Uh, I believe Or Kelly's also appealed for bail on similar grounds and being denied, thankfully,
1: Big fan of uh, Craig. I agree with the lawyers, Fitzpatrick over here. <laughs> <laughs> In my deposition. He's still
0: working on his memoir. Will you, are you going to read that? Prometheus, God of Fire.
1: <laughs> no, let's just make another fucking documentary. That one was genuinely brilliant. Did you ever watch it? Did you watch it for a second time? Did you ever go back to it?
0: No, I never went back to it. Um I saw the other one that was like a, a knockoff version. I watched like 10 minutes of that and it was just a bit shabby. But um have you gone back to it, yeah?
1: I did, because when I first came out, I I watched it, I got it like a few days early, because I reviewed it for Joe, back in the Joe days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then I think it was out like a few days later, and people were kind of milling around being like, what's all this? And I think I watched it with a few people. Uh, It's not as good the second time, because of course, a lot of it, you know, is all about seeing it unfold for the first time and just sitting there with your jaw going through the floor. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of... When Netflix drops something and it becomes massive, like Tiger King right now, which I haven't seen and I have no interest in seeing. I haven't seen, no. It's really fucking irritating, though, when it just becomes the zeitgeist and you're like, oh, God, I can't fucking escape this mugshot of your man. It's just (laughs) everywhere. Like, it just burns into your brain. If, like, you know, you spend all day on the fucking internet like me and the rest of the world, um, whether it's for work purposes or not, it can just be a bit irritating. But I do think the Firefest kind of stands the test of time. So your man was supposed to get a fucking TV show, wasn't he? Um, And then never, ever did. The guy, oh, what's yeah. his, name?
0: Um, oh, his name? Andy King. Andy King. King.
1: Yes, it was, took one for the team. What a
0: hero. <laughs> Didn't um, have to take one, thankfully. <laughs>
1: he's um, like he's an interesting fellow and, and he's an older gentleman, you know, a bit of a silver fox, you might say. Uh, outdoing him on that front, though, of course, would be Brian May of Queen fame, a man who is incredibly good at getting press whenever he seems to want it. Like he's he's he was very good during the Bohemian Rhapsody film campaign of being like, well, I mean, Freddie was good and all, but there were three of us also in the band.
0: Like, <laughs> put a no on it, mate. No
1: yeah. one cares. So he effectively uh, has got involved with this whole coronavirus situation because, again, I don't know how you're finding it, but like between like I'm finding the experts to be terrifying enough, but like the amount yes. of fucking armchair legends who are just chiming in here with <laughs> armchair well, actually,
0: legends. Brian May... Like uh, Eamon Holmes, for example, talking uh, about 5G on fucking morning television.
1: (laughs) Listen, he just wanted to have... He wanted to open up the the conversation. He wanted to just, you know, give a platform to other views. What's wrong with that, Craig?
0: I'm eternally putting on, like, YouTube videos of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson um, giving motivational speeches or, like, in conversation, and it's eternally Eamon Holmes doing the interview, and I'm eternally then turning it straight off. (laughs) (laughs) Well... How do you feel about Brian
1: May saying that meat eating is the cause of the coronavirus? Now, he said this despite a lack of scientific consensus over the origin of the disease. People are still kind of speculating what it was. But speaking to the enemy. Brian May said this pandemic seemed to come from people eating animals and it's becoming more well known that eating animals is not the greatest thing for our health we've seen more of the effects of how eating animals has brought us to our knees as a species I think it's time to re-examine our world in a way that doesn't abuse other species am I right in saying that you went uh, vegan or something a while ago Uh,
0: no I'm down to like um, fish and fowl essentially so I'm I'm moving slowly slowly towards vegetarianism nowhere near veganism but I I admire people that are Um, I mean I Obviously, Brian May is not the World Health Organization. Sorry? So, as long as he's not saying things that are, like, properly dangerous, I think he's kind of, he's all right with this opinion, right? Like, obviously, there's no, you know, pure scientific report that's come out that said, okay, these wet markets were to blame. But it seems quite likely. Certainly good things haven't come out of there, you know, previously. When he says that... It's time to re-examine the way we kind of consume stuff, the way we abuse other species. I'm totally on board with that. Paul McCartney's also been saying similar um, this week as well, with uh, even kind of stronger language as well. He's like, medieval. well, you used to have slavery forever, but you got to move on at some point. And I'm like, yeah, here, here, Paul.
1: Yeah, he said that the Chinese wet markets are medieval. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong, there's definitely an argument for all of this, but at the same time... Uh, You're kind of running the risk of, like, tying an entire country, an entire race of people into this kind of villain role, which people have been doing, like the fucking president of the US of A and other people. Yeah, it's a a little bit
0: Morrissey, which is not a good thing in this day and age. Uh, You can have a little bit Morrissey, Greg, you know. (laughs) A little bit Morrissey. (laughs) Not too much more, is he? <laughs> uh, if you,
1: uh, actually, no, I, I was about to ask a question, and I was like, hang on, the answer here is very obvious. I was be like, if you had to listen to the music of Paul McCartney or the music of Brian May for the rest of your life, who would you pick, Craig? And I, I feel like you're going to say The
0: Beatles. So, <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm no Grey Queen fan. I don't like dislike them as much as, say, The Doors, which infamously I have a, a bound to pick with The Lizard King. But
1: you got into a mild Twitter spat with Conor O'Brien of Villager's fame about this during the Which
0: week. you set up, I believe. <laughs> I don't know what you're
1: talking about, man.
0: <laughs> Walked um, away. He kind of, he said to the both of us that we really need to actually declare our, our latent kind of undying love for all things The Doors, which I, I cannot do. You conceded um, people are strange and I conceded touch me. Um, but I'm sorry, The Doors were a shambles of a ban. <laughs> I was politely exiting
1: the conversation because I have far too much respect for Conor O'Brien to get into an online row about the doors. So I just thought, I'll tag Craig in here and I'll head off to play Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I
0: quite quite gamely then whipped out my Jim Morrison fucking um, biography and started quoting from it. Why do you have that? It was a gift years back. And it's actually an okay read. Like I've said before, I think as a rock and roll story... They like set in motion a lot of those cliches, and it's really kind of a thrilling read. And you, you come out of it going, "Wow!" Like they sound incredible. I now have to consume everything they ever did. And you put on like Lover Madly, and you're like, "I'm out." <laughs> it's sub Beatlesy crap. And then the organ. Ugh. What a what mystical traveling shaman gave you this gift? <laughs> I, th- I think it was a family member. It was some like Christmas gift. All right. So, and a lot of them are actually traveling musical shaman. So fair enough that's yeah. where you get your hair
1: from which by the way <laughs> someone who has longish hair generally well I mean like longish not like fucking Eddie Vedder or anything in his prime yeah are you enjoying like the man moment? Bob well, I, I'm can someone please come to my house and cut my hair please please <laughs> like, is it
0: stressing you out? yeah
1: yeah it's really starting to bother I, me
0: I'm loving your fringe at the moment but I'm guessing that's just coming back quite a lot there's a lot going on behind the brill cream or whatever right?
1: I wouldn't use Brill Cream, Craig.
0: I'm not a fucking
1: <laughs> soccer AM presenter from 1995. So essentially, I it's actually okay. It's more the sides and the back, which is starting to really piss me off. Because I'm just yeah. like, I need that feel of a fresh fade. Uh, <laughs> it feels like a feel bit of like, a fridge, to sponsor. But if only
0: I'm not. we still did like episode titles like that, that would be nailed on. Well, I mean, it, set, in, it, is,
1: it can be hard to stay on track. It can be hard to even like fall in love with music all over again when you got people like Don McLean out there. Saying that the very concept of music itself is dead. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's another it's another case of old man shouts a cloud. Um a rather than shouting a, dis- a COVID, he's shouting horrible. out the concept of music. <laughs> yeah, horrible a disgr- dude.
1: A, a disgraced, horrible, violent man who uh, we're just throwing in here because he's giving out about how we live in a nihilistic society now. He did an interview and he basically said that, you know, songs he said the politics no longer mean anything, but then he was like, Well actually you can apply that to music as well. No one has any respect, no one believes in anything. Music as a whole has, quote, deteriorated, doesn't exist, not on the radio. (laughs) Um, He references, like, a a show from the 50s, I mean... There's nothing on the radio that you can
0: name in 20 notes. Which... Strangers in the Night. I mean, that's a well known song. Some some song from the 50s? <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. I agree. Like, this thing of just being like, there's some form of music like sound. <laughs> it's so withering. What a bitter old man. But yeah, like, it smacks of um, kind of dog whistle stuff, doesn't it? Right? Because I presume he's talking about like trap music and stuff he doesn't understand whatsoever. And it's not good, clean, white rock and roll fun. Um, that would be what might take away from that. But it's not really surprising that he'd be out of touch. Like even in his big hit in his prime in the seventies, he was nostalgic for the fifties. He was a man out of time when he was popular, and then he became not popular. <laughs> uh, he Thankfully. might
1: have he, he might have had an okay time at the Sunstroke Festival, which was due to take place in Ireland <laughs> uh, approximately twenty years after the original I think happened. So uh, Punchestown Racecourse was set to play host to a two day event. In June, uh, with the likes of Fate No More, Deftones, and the Jesus and Mary Chain, and a lot of Irish acts on the bill, including some friends. Oh, I'm
0: sorry, of the show. just no way Don McLean doesn't consider Deftones and the Jesus and Mary Chain noisy young upstarts. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: he got his wish here because, unfortunately, due to the current situation in the world, it is not going ahead which is a shame yeah. um, I mean like I think it was doing fairly well in terms of ticket sales people were it's something that you know people in this country have kind of cried out for for a very very long time a, a rock slash alternative festival dedicated over a day or two we haven't really seen the like of them in a very long time there was Ozfest back in 2001-2002 one of those years that I was at and there was like that time Metallica played a gig and they tried to turn it into a download type offshoot but generally your average kind of rock metal fan does get a bit screwed over unless they get someone that's slain that they might like and then the bill is curated in that regard like metallica last year i mean it is a common it is a common complaint that happens when people see the lineup for longitude or picnic or whoever and it is a very tired one when people are like where are the guitars at the same time i would happily go to this festival particularly if it was in dublin because i'd think the venue was the wrong choice to begin with but unfortunately it's not happening i hope that they will bring it back next year i think that they are going to continue on with this and hopefully Maybe even move it uh, in a year's time if we are back to some
0: kind of normality. But it yeah, was... I don't know. I'm, I'm. I feel like this year might be a write-off, and definitely like there's some coronavirus experts saying the same. The the most uh, um, diverting news story of the week, and uh, in, in kind of live music terms, was a piece in New York Times um, where they had an expert saying, "Listen, it's probably unlikely that concerts are going to kick back off until." autumn 2021. Now that is a a US-centric view and obviously they're behind us and not dealing with it as well as Europe. Shock horror. Um, But the the kind of consensus seems to be that like the larger gatherings that encompass everything from concerts to, you know, conferences, sporting events are the last things that are going to return when we kind of ease our way back into some form of normality. So autumn 2021 seems like it might as well be a decade away in terms of the amount of fucking venues that will close down, businesses that will go bust, artists that will, will have like no um income whatsoever. I can't see it being that long, but who knows? Yeah, no, it's a grim
1: forecast and there's grimmer forecasts by the day. I mean, you're seeing stuff like social distancing might be here until 2022. People have said it might be here until 2025. At this stage, a lot of people are speculating and, you know, it's probably best practice to be as cautionary as you can. The fear of the second wave is the big thing as well it's kind of unfathomable. It's the kind of thing that you just couldn't really look ahead and try and, you know, imagine how we would live in it. Unfortunately, we just have to fucking live in it in real time, in the moment. And yeah, I mean, I think we're all craving that kind of release again um, at the same time we kind of talked about it with Jim Carroll last week I mean okay let's say tomorrow Craig let's say fucking um, The Strokes for example I know The Strokes did play Belfast recently but you know it was kind of a weird impromptu thing but let's say The Strokes an- announced a gig in say Ficker Street and yeah. you- you're lucky enough to get a ticket you gonna go?
0: Or would you I'm be not like, going right now? No, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm exactly, definitely. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's not happening. I even, you know, I was holding out some hope for Primavera and yeah, Autumn this year. Even if it's, and they're, they're one of the big festivals saying, "Listen, we're going to go ahead and we'll we'll figure something out in terms of lineups." I don't personally think I'd be comfortable going. Certainly not traveling abroad.
1: What's your refund situation there? Have you tried to get one, or are you waiting until they officially turn around and go, "Here you go"?
0: Yeah, I think they officially have to because they've just kind of pushed it on. Um, They have said that there will be refunds available. I'm not sure if they're available as yet, but I'm kind of holding out, see how it goes. But I assume it'll be a refund situation. Live Nation in the States uh, snuck in a little clause in all their forthcoming gigs that so were like, yeah, we're at this uh, no refund situation, which is like classic Live Nation. <laughs> Um. So, but I think for something like Primavera, um, that relies so much on the positive image it has and the kind of goodwill of people that go to it, it would be really counterproductive for them to, you know, shave people. Essentially, I don't know. Well,
1: as the very concept of going to a live show slips through our fingers for an indeterminate amount of time, Derek Robertson, an arts and culture journalist who has written for The Guardian, Vice, Drowned and Sound, The Quietest and The Enemy, amongst others, he published a report this week from a couple of gigs that he went to in Malmo in Sweden, where he's based. He went there on Easter weekend. Yep. Actual in the flesh shows. Uh, Sweden, you see, is not under a full lockdown. Restrictions are in place, but generally life continues as normal. Uh, On the weekend, Derek headed to an independent venue by the name of Plan B to see local bands with names like Spun Sugar and the Hypnagogics. I don't even know how to fucking pronounce that. Hypnagogics. Uh, Yeah, the great bands. Sorry, that's my, that's I've my, never that's, heard of them. That's my, that's, that, that's my inadvertent Pat Kenny introducing Mango and Mathman there. Who are these
0: people? I don't know. Uh, do you remember, sorry, before we get into this, do you remember Pete Doherty on The Late Late Show? Oh my God. <laughs> and after like 10 thing. minutes of, of Pat Kenny just asking about like Kate Moss and his drug problems, Pete Doherty just turning around and going, can you, do you know, do you know my music? Can you name one of my songs? And Pat Kenny just going... No, I can't. <laughs> uh, who, 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 could I forget,
1: <laughs> who could forget Jerry Seinfeld that time when he came all oh. the way over for B-Movie? So yeah, so Mango and Math are actually in great company, essentially, is what I'm yes, saying here. very much so. But yeah, so uh, Sweden is an interesting case. Uh, things are changing. I mean, even like today, before we recorded this show, uh, they've had a surge in cases, but they're still hmm. not fully locking the country down. And as such, Derek was able to go to these gigs. Uh, I caught up with him a few days later to ask about the experience. So yeah, essentially, we've extended our lockdown restrictions over here until the 5th of May. I would imagine they're going to extend it beyond that. I don't think it's too unreasonable to suggest that that's the case. But things are quite different in Sweden, aren't
2: they, Derek? They are. There's no lockdown here. None at all. Life continues relatively normally. I was just out for lunch in uh, in a little local restaurant.
1: How surreal is, is the atmosphere there? You wrote a really good piece for The Guardian on this, but even now, kind of a couple of weeks on after penning that, it's not much has changed, really?
2: No, not much. Um, there's... The restrictions are a little bit tighter. Um, I think the, the police are going around and checking more bars and restaurants. I heard there was a couple of places got... Um, closed down at the weekend because they'd packed in too many people and the authorities basically said well no this is not okay but other bars providing they're following the rules you know keeping to less than 50 table service only so you're not allowed to go up to the bar or up to the counter um to be served providing you're following the rules it's it's fine shops are still open supermarkets fully stocked no panic buying schools are still open I even went to a couple of concerts last week as well.
1: Yes. So essentially, I mean, the idea of going to a gig over here at the moment is pretty alien. We're seeing experts from around the world forecasting the idea of concerts not really returning until late 2021. As you say, you went to not one, but two gigs at the weekend. So can you describe that kind of oddity
2: for us? It was very surreal. And I think other people, especially the first night, the Thursday For the first couple of songs, I think even the band thought this is quite surreal and nobody was kind of getting into it and everyone was a bit sort of staring at everyone else going, how do we react? But then after that, everyone kind of relaxed a bit and it was just like any other normal little garage show, really. I I mean, obviously, they they were following all the rules and restrictions. So there was like maximum 40 people. There was actually 39 because I counted them. So plus the sound guy, the staff and the band, it was 48 in total. So completely legal. No bar service. That was fine. And they, they did say to everyone, you know, don't all congregate down the front. You know, try and sort of spread out as much as possible. And, you know, people were being very sensible about it, but it was just like a normal show. Really.
1: So this this venue in particular, obviously, it's kind of an independent situation, kind of an underground type thing, even probably before this but it just sounds like by default you're going to these shows that kind of sound like something out of a film kind of sound like something out of Twin Peaks or something like this is obviously not your grand scale concert
2: yeah exactly I mean it's it's a small very independent venue I mean they have three rooms one of which is is quite big I mean I think they can do about a thousand people in there now um but this was often one of the sort of side rooms Um, So nothing grand, nothing big, but sort of proper underground DIY spirit kind of thing, really. Um, But chatting to the people there and the owner, I mean, it's kind of, it's almost like their hand has been forced because there's no lockdown. There's no government mandated funding or compensation, compensation scheme for any businesses, of course. So there's no money. So if they have to stay open, well, what are they going to do? They can only do what they know, which is putting on shows within the framework of regulations that exist. So he booked a couple of bands and people turned up, people came.
1: In terms of the atmosphere, for even from your own kind of point of view, was there much kind of sense of fear about this? Or, I mean, obviously you were there particularly to kind of report. So it is kind of an, an anthropological thing as well for you. But is there any kind of like i don't want to leave my fucking house i don't want to go to this room with 50 people in there i don't know what's going to be in there um
2: fear is one thing that i don't think anybody had or has Um, i talked to quite a lot of people there before and after the show and i talked to the bands as well and one thing that everybody sort of says and it comes through no matter who you talk to here really is that everyone is very sensible everyone is very pragmatic so one guy said to me well if, if anyone anywhere is at all sick or has been sick or has any symptoms, anything at all, they're, they're going to self-isolate for 14 days. They're going to properly follow the regulations. You know, they're not going to do anything stupid and say, oh, it's just a cough, I'll be fine, I'll go out. People generally here don't do that. And so what he said is, I have every confidence that everybody here is perfectly healthy, so I'm not scared. Because if they weren't perfect, perfectly healthy... They, they wouldn't come out. They just wouldn't risk other people in that sort of selfish way that you perhaps see in other countries. But
1: that's the context thing. I mean, I, I noticed when you put out on Twitter that you were going to these shows, you very, very quickly added a tweet to note the, the context of your situation because, I mean it's very, very fast that you could become a pariah in the eyes of other people for even doing what you're doing right now. And no, you're not putting on the show, you're going to the show. But even that kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting how fast human behavior has turned and how quickly we are to monitor that behavior, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. I mean, is there any part of you that is like, not so much feels guilty about going to a gig, but is there any kind of social consciousness that comes into play? Or is this a case of, well, look, this is what it's like over here. I'm just doing what I'm legally
2: allocated to do. I mean, it is something that I thought about. It did cross my mind. And I did think at some point this, this, this could go very wrong and I could be, you know, that guy on Twitter for a day. Everyone has a turn at kicking because he went to a show. But it, it's kind of like I said, I mean, it's it's very important to point out that it's in no way breaking the rules. It's not some underground illegal gig. Nobody's trying to do anything illicit. Actually, the, the cops turned up on the Friday night after the show um, just because apparently they were, they were going around all the venues in the town. And they just went around, counted people, had a Coke at the bar and left they were perfectly happy. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's some of the reactions of, of people on social media were like, oh, you know, you're so brave, and oh, it wouldn't be me. And it's it's kind of hard for me to put myself in their shoes, because of course, there's no lockdown here. There's no great panic. There's no great, if I'm honest, there's no great sense of this being a super dangerous thing. You know, which I'm sure it absolutely is. I mean, I don't want to catch it. And if I did catch it, I wouldn't want to spread it, of course. Um, but there's also the element of, well, here I am in Sweden. This is the current situation. Everyone else is kind of out and about doing their thing, going about their daily lives, you know, whilst taking precautions and being sensible, of course. Why should I just stay at home for eight weeks? You know, it's there's no there's there's no I don't have any great sense of well I have to do what the rest of Europe's doing I mean I'm I'm here it's fine and of course I'm torn like 50 50 going oh my god what if Sweden gets this wrong what if this is going to head into a complete disaster or catastrophe scenario which wouldn't be good of course but I mean at the moment things remain relatively fine they've they're claiming that they've they've managed to successfully flatten the curve and Currently, I don't think they have any plans for any stricter measures.
1: Well, let me ask you, I mean, I guess lastly... I mean, this venue in particular, Plan B, in your article, it's noted that they need to do this to stay open to make money. Otherwise, they could go bust. I mean, this is the future that a lot of venues are facing, particularly independent ones. So that's the current state of play over there. And let's say that that continues. Uh, over here, you know, the idea of relaxing measures may come along at some point, And people might be wondering what that means for social activity. So if there are venues that can operate this way and have a capacity of, say, 50 people or, you know, no more than that or whatever... Can this sustain not just from a financial point of view for them, but also just for the idea of an escape for people? I mean, is this the way to go because this could be the next year
2: of our lives if we even get this at all? I mean, I think so. if people are collectively are sensible about it and and practice things like you know proper hygiene and if you are ill, stay at home and you know, properly wash your hands and don't share drinks and, you know, maybe don't, you know, shake hands and high five and hug each other and stuff like that. I mean, there has to be a way to get back somehow to something resembling normality sooner rather than later. I mean, I can't imagine a lockdown situation continuing for a year. That I mean, as much as I can't even fathom what it's like to be in lockdown right now, that this being the status quo for a year or more, I just can't conceive of what would happen to the world, you know. Um, I mean, of course, you might not get back to doing huge concerts or live sports where there's like 50,000 people or something, but I think there has to be some element of getting back to people being allowed out and doing the odd thing here or there, even if it is, okay, we'll open the cinemas and we'll only sell 20 tickets and you have to, you know, sit four seats apart or something like that you know because i think the alternative is almost too scary to come to comprehend
1: awesome man well look thanks for taking the time and stay safe out there
2: thank you very much it was a pleasure Thanks
1: Derek. You can read his full report on that one which is titled The Only Show in Europe Inside Sweden's Controversially Socially Distanced Gigs over on enemy.com right now and you can follow him on Twitter at Derek Rocks if you would like more from him. He's a lovely fella. So before we break into the album review which I know Craig is absolutely chomping at the bit to get to I should note as well I'm sure most people have seen it by now it emerged today on the Thursday that we are recording. A COVID-19 Relief Fund has been set up for Irish musicians so just for anybody who listens to the show who may be unaware and might actually benefit from this. Uh, This fund has been created to assist Irish music creators who are currently experiencing the most financial need. It's open to songwriters, composers, performers, session musicians and arrangers who are currently trying to navigate through this challenging time. Successful applicants will receive a one-off emergency relief payment to the value of €750. Your application, if you do apply, will be reviewed by a committee of music industry professionals from a wide spectrum of industry sectors and organisations. So anyone who is feeling the fucking pinch right now and may may need some assistance and some help can apply if you head on to firstmusiccontact.com and they should be able to direct you from there uh, rough time for musicians time. but uh, at least we're still getting new music that is a good thing craig would you like to introduce this album review yes
0: this is the return of the strokes uh, this is the new abnormal and this is the track the adults are talking don't call it cuz you never return on how you think of me when you think of
2: her and it don't make sense Trying hard to do the right thing, but with a record and then you dissed at the wrong setting. It was great, and now you don't know how you could have complain because you're all confused. Because you
1: want me to, but then you want me to do the same as you. All right, Craig. Who are these five young restabouts from
0: the mean streets of New York <laughs> City, and what do they want? <laughs> Am I doing a Strokes primer? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we do. Okay, so yeah, everyone knows The Strokes. Um, as you say, New York's finest, maybe, in a city with a lot of competition. Um, I guess The Strokes are a band that were mythical before its members hit 30. Um, they were the band that kind of kick-started that garage rock revival, the new rock revolution, whatever you want to call it, at the turn of the century, and the ripples of which carried the likes of the White Stripes, uh, Libertines, Killers, Franz Ferdinand, um, Kings of Leon to sell out as they did the Arctic Monkeys to do better stuff. Um, And, you know, The Strokes also sold like a thousand lines of top man skinny jeans in the process as well. They were never kind of humongous sellers, um, but you could make the argument that they were the last real old fashioned guitar band to like race out of the traps and really capture a moment, um, spark something of a movement and like shape wider culture in a way that goes beyond the more, you know, tribal musical realms we all now exist in, like even if you were totally out of touch with music and didn't know the Strokes, you could see their impact just by walking the streets um, of many cities around the world. Um, so, you know, most people saw their kind of Lower East Side photo shoots before they even heard them and were just sold. You know, the thing of like everyone, uh, they always say about the first Velvet Underground record, like it only sold 5,000 copies, but everyone that bought one went on to form a band. That was kind of the case for, you know, just photos of the Strokes in The Enemy. It's just like everyone seemed to get involved in a kind of kick kick-started, you know, um, guitar rock in a way that was kind of languishing at the time. So, yeah, from a personal point of view, they weren't like the bands that got me into music. But at a time when I was 12 or 13 and like really loving music and listening to Radiohead and um, Nirvana, um delving back into the likes of The Clash and I was like on the lookout for a band that you could kind of call your own and the strokes were that like instantly they felt like something that was happening now that like measured up to those kind of old mythical bands they like fit in the lineage quite well and they were the first kind of acts that were happening then and there that I kind of clung on to Um, it helps that I think the debut album which I know you love is so impressive Uh, like to me I don't think there's a kind of needless note or like a a single second out of place I think it's a pretty perfect debut Um, and it could have been impossible to follow up I think they matched it with Room on Fire Um, sadly thereafter I think doubts started to creep in Um, initially with first impressions of Earth It was them doubting their sound. So they talk at the time about hearing themselves on like a soundtrack compilation alongside the likes of the Hives and like sounding much smaller. And, you know, them wanting to do big like arena filling songs, getting in new producers, um, having kind of bloated running orders of just songs that should have been B-sides. And then the doubt spread to like just each other. They drifted apart and there was cliched substance problems. It was Julian Casablancas, as the singer wanting to be a bit more experimental, um, which, you know, led him to kind of form the voids and find sanctuary in their kind of left field stuff. And subsequent albums always kind of had gems on them, but they just felt like you could hear the disharmony. And whilst I liked, like I tried to cheerlead for those releases, it's really tough when the band themselves are you know, actively just not promoting the records and then sometimes actively disowning them. So they always had, you know, uh, moments of quality, but they felt very much like a band that were now out of time. They were a legacy act before they were in uh, middle age. And the conversation around this record is like, okay, finally they've come back together. They've recaptured that, like, last gang in town um, intangible quality of, like, them being better than the sum of the, the members um does that bear out? How did you find this? Well, I mean, it
1: should be said that Julian Casablancas, friend of the show. Who, of oh, course, yes, of course. Has, yeah, it, No Encore. Has appeared on No Encore, if you go back to yeah. an episode called Enter the Voids, I think it was called. It's when I interviewed him at midnight in Vicker Street when the voids were over yeah. about a year and a half ago, which was a very strange encounter. Uh, it's kind of what you want from the guy. Um, he's already come out and said, yeah, this is probably like my fourth favourite Strokes record. So. I know. I <laughs> like, know. Like on the weekend of release. <laughs> so the talk for a while... Uh, apparently around the time of Angles, apparently like they had just become so sick of each other that like, do Casabanks was emailing his vocals across? That's how he was doing it. Here's my vocals, off you go. Um, I was going to ask if you would consider yourself at this point of the Strokes run as a long suffering Strokes fan, because I'm kind of wondering if there's like a Man United comparison here where the glory days were so glorious and then it's just like, ah, can you just please win again? Or can you even play some good football? Um, at the same time, it sounds like a very luxurious form of suffering, if I can delve into Pinhead from Hellraiser territory there for a second, <laughs> in the sense that, like, I mean, like, what are you really getting here when you're getting a, a quote-unquote Bad Strokes album? You're getting something that's kind of a bit middling. I do think that they, I think you can make the argument that they never needed to have a second album or a third album, uh, like, just how, what what a legacy it would have been if they were a one-album band, imagine, if they yeah. were, like... The woo life of, they could have been the woo life of New York. (laughs) So I guess um, the
0: reality for actual musicians is like, do they get another job? I know with the strokes, maybe some of them might've had trust funds. (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) So, okay. um, To break it down to the basics of, is this a good album? I would say. This is it, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Is this. A good album. I would say it's a good album. Um, It's nine tracks, which is obviously very healthy. So we got the lead single, At The Door, which I liked a lot. I think you did as well. Um, yeah. It was very voidsy. Julian's voice sounded very high in the mix, but in a good way. Uh, definitely one of his better vocal kind of runs on this record in terms of production and sound and just kind of clarity, I think, from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spent the week with it. It's never been a chore to go back to. I certainly like it. And when I first threw it on, did you, I assume... 12.01 Friday morning, were you listening to it? Of course. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It was a late night listen by myself. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I, I had the same. And I, I was like, when the Adults Are Talking comes on, I was like, yeah, cool, I'm into this for sure. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like, uh, about a week ago, I meant to mention on the show, uh Gorillas dropped a new song and it's got Peter Hook on it. And Georgia, it's called Aries. It's a really fun summer song. And yeah, it's nice. My housemate is obsessed with it and he's all like, best song of the year so far and I'm like it's not because here's the thing it's a fun song it's very enjoyable it's communal in the right ways but it's just Peter Hook doing Peter Hook you know like like it, it's got that hooky bass line because it's literally Peter Hook just reclaiming former glories I feel like the Strokes are kind of screwed in a way like they can't not sound like themselves they can't not bust out a guitar line or a falsetto croon that takes you back to how they did it on the first two records. The first one in particular, I think is a masterpiece. Even though it took me a while to get there, at least in terms of declaring it as such. I know I was, everyone else did it immediately and I was like, I don't know, but ultimately they're never going to top it, but they're always going to be compared against it, which isn't necessarily fair. I mean, this sounds really fucking beige of me, but I'm just glad to have a Strokes album. A new one that is good. I think it's their best album since Angles. It's probably better than Angles. So it, it would be their best album in quite some time. At the same time, I mean, it doesn't really cover much in the way of new ground. I was kind of hoping when we heard out the door that maybe it would go down a a bit more adventurous paths. That said, I think what we get here has a lot of substance. And I do think that the closing track, Ode to the Mets, is up there with uh, the best stuff Julian Casablanca's has ever done for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I do think, I agree with you that they're a bit damned if they do, damned if they don't. They're they're being graded on a totally different scale than a lot of other acts, I think. Um, Which is... Maybe for a game when, you know, you kind of kick off your career with the quality of music on Is This It. That was like, they were coming out with songs that, as a 13-year-old, made me feel nostalgic. Like, you'd listen to Someday and be like, oh yeah, the good old days at 13. <laughs> That's a pretty special, like, <laughs> pop knack within them. Um, you Um Like, I remember listening to Is This It and being like, almost immediately nostalgic for that moment, knowing that in future years you'd be like, yeah, this was great. And also getting so excited by the music that you knew you were kind of going towards better things. And it's like some real fucking Time Lord pop shit, um, which I think maybe Julian evokes in some other quotes from um, the, the press run of this, where he's just like, you know, the fourth fourth best record he's ever been involved in was hilarious. But also him just like disowning an entire decade that contained like a Stroke's album and an EP and plenty of work where he was just like the 2010s or whatever you call them. Uh, we like, we we took them off, whatever the fuck you're called, we took them off. And now we've <laughs> been unfrozen and we're back. <laughs> like, so I really feel like there is that feeling of like, they've recaptured something of that DNA after losing their way. So as a fan, um, it turns out my biggest problem with this record is the apostrophe typo in Where Sunday's So Depressing on the streaming services. That has not been fixed as yet and really gets my goat because I think everything <laughs> else about this record fits into place in a way the previous records have not managed whatsoever. Um, okay, well, you know,
1: what exactly was the missing jigsaw pieces that they've suddenly found? Like, what is the difference?
0: I think that everything is deliberate. It's focused From, you know, the Basquiat cover art to the album title, it just makes sense. And I I think, like, for a band that felt so out of time, like when you had highlights, the likes of Machu Picchu, One Way Trigger, they were like the dying embers of a band that were out of time. Now, lyrically, from what Julian's doing and the kind of world we're living in, it feels like they're tapping into a feeling that we're all having, certainly for me, um, which I think that really helps. Second of all, I think Julian's Voids, Excursions... Uh, serve him really well here finally like vocally he's in the absolute form of his life i think like he's showing off a full array of tricks you know the iggy pop growls the like the kind of delicious pericomo like crooning down a traffic cone stuff the falsettos which he's finally got like full reign over um in the past i think he was testing his limits and it was coming off kind of goofy which is never really a strokesian look um And while they used to take chances, like it was kind of like brave goofiness. Now they sound kind of fearless and cool again. Um, And I think to a large extent, that is because the band are finally on board with the way he's pushing them. Like that can only be achieved because they're finally back on the same page, right? The tricks that he's pulling kind of elevate the rest of the, the sound. We get like finally a balance of old and new. So like synth sounds are introduced from the get-go with the records. So when you come to a song like At The Door, which is this kind of skyscraping, you know, uh, Vangelis kind of, you know, trip to Valhalla or whatever, it doesn't feel like it's just this iceberg sitting alone. That's like, oh, what? They're trying this weird experimental thing. Um, you know, sonic markers are a place throughout that really, you like make that work. I think a lot of that is down to production. So Rick Rubens on Judy's here and we get the best and worst of Rick Rubin, for sure. So, like, he's clearly been the best guy to get in terms of, like, his, you know, his instinctive, like, I'm a guru, I'm a mentor. I'm going to get you lads to, like, recapture that magic inside of you, right? And start being mates again. I think, yeah, he nails that. And when he kind of sprinkles in that, like, studio chatter, like, there's a really cool bit towards the end where Julian's kind of talking to Fab and he's just like... Um, he's, what is it you, the click was always in you there was no click on you are the click and it's just like a really <laughs> cool funny moment and kind of heartwarming I think that's like Rick Rubin capturing that really well but then we get the like fucking just like distorted compressed to feck quite a bit stuff like the sound isn't always great he is a veteran of like the loudness wars and there was times I was like oh god I just want some of these songs to breed because the playing is so great but that's like niggly stuff. And like, you know, an angles and come down machine, I was striving to make a case for those records. And here I think I'm just picking out niggly bits, which is a testament to I think the record. So you don't um,
1: subscribe to the idea that they sound tired and hungover, as some reviews have pointed out. Reviews have been mixed, by the way. There's been some there's been some high numbers and some low numbers. I kind of get the feeling that people obviously it's not an across-the-board thing, but I mean, I don't think the Strokes are naff, but I think some people think that they're naff. I I think that some people are like rooting for them to fail. I'm not quite sure what that is. If it's some kind of weird hangover from a different era and they're the poster boys to pin the blame on and put the knives in or something. But I, I feel like, I mean, they obviously don't have as much traction or coolness as they once had. That's that's evident. However, there's they're in this really strange space now where I'm not even sure why they exist. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm glad that they do but I don't quite know who they're for anymore, including themselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the reviews have been kind of, not generous, but I think people were ready to embrace them again, even if they can't physically. Um, but apart from Pitchfork, which is just a bit of a joke at this point, I, I put no stock in Pitchfork. I saw someone on Drowning Sound say that, um, of course, Pitchfork gave her that review. And of course, the reasons you know, they outlined for giving it that low score are all the reasons I love it. I don't think it's a hangover record. I think it is maybe the sound of them like being unfrozen. It feels like a band waking up after a good sleep in good form. Like it's quite a sunny record. If you go back to Is This It and Room on Fire, I mean, they're kind of faster and they're a bit grittier, but they all, like they instantly sounded jaded. Like that is kind of their default setting. (laughs) So no, I actually thought it was quite a beautiful record. I, I I agree. I don't know quite what the audience is now. um. But I do think if a new band came out of the traps with this record, it would be getting a much higher score and Pitchfork. What's your favourite track? Um, At The Door, I think, is right up there with their best stuff. I really like Eternal Summer, which is maybe the weirdest thing on here. It starts with like a kind of breezy indie pop, um, kind of falsetto led like almost tropical vibe and then it goes into quite an austere pounding like dark pink floyd thing that almost goes like trent Reznoria points where he's just barking out things and i'm like yeah this it swings really well it works really well i don't think maybe it has like really standout a plus highlights as songs but i do think as a journey it works it's their best effort since room on fire like there's moments throughout every song where i'm just like very charmed by what's going on like the duelling guitarists that kind of come in about four minutes into the opening track and they're not those kind of like gonzo 80s hair metal guitars they were guilty of like breaking out at times when they'd lost their way they're like paired back very tastefully done they sound like they're having fun this sounds like a record they would actually listen to themselves which i don't think like i don't think they've gone back to fucking angles or come down machine certainly not in live sets and like certainly not for pleasure so, Give me a, a definite success for me. Give me a number. This is uh, a strong A for me. I might go 8.5. Because if I go back to, like, the fucking Time Lord pop thing, I think if 13-year-old me was thinking of a future Craig listening to The Strokes when he was 31, he'd be quite satisfied listening to this quality of material. That would be a win for that teenager. Do you know what I mean? That's Whereas nice. That's good. There was good. No, like no teenage Craig fucking dreaming about angles. So... <laughs> it's it's a it's an eight point five for me. Okay, it's a seven for me. Uh, I will
1: say that I really like the record. I think that there's a couple of great tracks on here, particularly the aforementioned ode to the Mets. It's got a, it's got a very nice flow to it. I think it's it's probably the best we could have hoped for in a way. However, I found moments of magic few and far between. That said, I will stick with it. I do think, come the end of the year, it'll be up there for me. Uh, but yeah, from a from an annoying critical, have to stick a number on your point away seven. But you know, seven with yeah, that. Yeah, I think of- it
0: kind of is. It probably is a grower. Like it keeps revealing stuff to me in terms of just the stuff that's going out, going on underneath the melodies. I do think Julian's like even the bits that sound like ad-libs when he gets to like outros are pretty strong melodies. I agree. It doesn't have the immediate knock me off my feet feel of their best moments. But yeah, I think it'll keep revealing itself, so. I'm happy with that.
1: Last week on the show for our top 5 deep dive, we did the worst cover songs out there and we also put out a kind of a written accompaniment on Patreon last yeah, uh, that was yeah fun. Like, like earlier in the week essentially. Kind of like a if you missed it on the show or if you know you missed a name of the song and didn't want to go back it's kind of just like a quick rundown with us throwing in a few extra sentiment in the form of the written word if that sounds like your kind of thing patreon.com slash no encore in the meantime craig you have picked this week's top five tell us all about it
0: yeah so we're doing very very short songs so it's two minutes or under um I think this is one on, like, our Google Doc of, like, million-dollar ideas. That was near the top. So get to work, Patreon. Um, Some of them are good. It felt felt like one we'd just come back to because it's just... It was another really tough week. I don't know how it was for you, but, like, my short list was long list. And I have, like, just personally, I've always always been fascinated with uh, just, like, the craft of trying to pare back like, pop songs to their, their essence. Just get in and get out, like, all killer, no filler. And I think, you know, these are times for short songs, right? Like, this, this fucking podcast famously talks about, like, preferring fucking short albums a lot of the time, but um, short songs kind of rule the roost, right? Like, Old Town Road, which I don't know if it features on either of lists. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like a minute 50 before the, the uh, fucking Billy Ray Cyrus remix. And... With streaming, it kind of pays for songs to be shorter. You can just stick them on loop now. Um, so yeah, now is the time of the short songs, and these songs are very short indeed.
1: All right, we'll do a number mentions afterwards. Why don't you kick us off with your number five, Greg?
0: Okay, so um, this is uh, delving straight into a bit of uh, recency bias. This is my most played song of last year. Can you guess it before we go into it? It's a Tierra Whack. No, it is not. No time
2: to discuss it Can't speak when the waves reach our house
0: Upon the dunes Time cannot be trusted
1: when I thought that album couldn't hurt me anymore. Here it is. Yeah,
0: That is Bambina from Vampire Weekend's Father of the Bride, uh, which was my favourite album last year. Um, This is, I I believe in your damning, what was this, three or four out of ten review? Three. (laughs) This might have been one of your concessionary songs where you're like, yeah, it kind of works. And for me, like I think this is, this is like exactly what I was going for with this list where it's just so self-contained. It's like, sub two minutes it just totally works you don't need anything really repeated it's to me it's like a pastoral a-punk with you know the kind of subtextual lyrical strength of like modern vampire stuff I think it contains everything that's kind of great about Vampire Weekend and it's instantly catchy I love the kind of floating buoyant Ezra uh, falsetto that just erupts Uh, I'm a man that takes great joy in, like, um, syllabic melodies. (laughs) The way he just, like, flows over those kind of quite, like, cumbersome lyrics is just brilliant and brilliantly executed. And it's the most immediate kind of slice of concise bangerdom on an album that's a bit sprawling.
1: I feel like, yeah, I I just can't, Craig. I just can't get on board with the record. I mean, like, ultimately, to me, it's all about, and this album, this song will be a fairly good encapsulation of the record for me. This is, like smile it might never happen the music and I'm just like oh okay cool I mean sorry I'm too busy over here this is about
0: Christians being tortured in the (laughs) Coliseum dude you hear that and like racism in America yeah it's subversive (laughs) pop dude get on
1: board (laughs) well I'll tell you uh, did did you know uh, when we went to that gig last summer I didn't know this until recently Higgs informed me that finance minister Pascal Donahue was spotted bopping away in the crowd. No way. Big fan weekend. Big fan for weekend, man. So there you go. And yeah. Third reason
0: to adore that man.
1: <laughs> this rich pop melody. Uh, <laughs> I was going to break out my Pascal Donahue impression, but I'm, I'll save that for another day. Uh, okay, so cool, cool. last week on the show... We did worst cover songs, as noted. Uh, I still got sent a few. I still got pelted with a few as this week opened up. It's okay, guys. You can stop now. Someone sent me uh, uh, Zoo." You know that band? Like Z-I-U, them. Who?
0: I also received this. And my word, my Asked word. <laughs> Car, Tracy Chapman. I mean, that's a horrific thing. I never want to hear again as long as I live. It, it was along the lines of when I broke out um, Peter Gabriel's Street Spirit, where it's just, it's trying so hard to do something profound by... Ripping apart the song and it's just so painful. Adding lyrics and stuff. The reason yeah. I mentioned this, though, of course, is because uh, my number five
1: this week in the sub two minute songs, although this one's actually bang on two minutes, is in fact a cover. And I feel like it's Dude. the kind, it's the kind of song. <laughs> I'm I, it's, it's the kind of song that, in the wrong hands, would be an absolute disaster. But I think that this is deft and delicate. So yeah, here's my number five.
0: Oh, oh, I do
1: Cat Power doing uh, The Velvet Underground and why it has the name of the song completely bounced out my head. I found a reason. There I found go. a
0: reason, yeah. I found a reason by Cat got, Power. I, I He's got the emotion. a lot of Grey covers in her back pocket as well. She's a really she good an, interpreter an of other people's album work. Covers, yeah. She's yeah. she's
1: one of those people who you're like, Grant, yeah, cool. This is fine, you know. Like she'll do a good job. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> safe
0: it, <for> hands. <laughs> she's a safe
1: <laughs> pair of hands. Uh, she's a great like she, she's a very interesting artist. I mean, I think she's kind of hard to pin down. And I think doing stuff like this and doing it well only adds to that kind of weird kind of mystique. This was used in the uh, hey, it's actually kind of good. V for Vendetta film adaptation back in two thousand and five in a pivotal moment. Of the movie, and that's where I first heard it. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. I mean, like, this is really nice and emotional and quite lovely and quite uh, intimate in all the right ways. I don't think that it necessarily stomps all over the original. I think it actually is a case of this is a nice interpretation because, you know, that's what a we'll cover it probably should be. It should always be respectful, but doing its own thing. And yeah, this week also, I think it was also in here for me as a kind of a counterpoint to I found myself, and we'll, you'll, you'll hear it as the list goes on, you'll hear it in the honorable mentions. I think even like the nature of a song that's under two-minute song, it invites speed and it invites kind of aggression and it invites pace and a certain sense of kind of heavy vibrancy to it. And I kind of really wanted something that was a bit of a slowdown. And I think inside yeah. two minutes, she actually manages to get a bit of a, a bit of a fucking three-act play into this one. It's quite devastating.
0: Yeah, it is. And that was kind of like when I was thinking of pulling together... This list—it's what what you go, with you go for—fully formed songs, and that down that road, you kind of you're just going into the realms of punk, I guess. Certainly, guitar-heavy stuff—the faster, the better. Or do you go kind of with mood music? Do you go with kind of like little vignettes? I kind of strayed away from that because I was like, what even constitutes a song? And instead, I went mainly with bangers. Dave, are you a fan of the Misfits?
1: Not especially. You are now. <laughs>
0: Misfits with she. Um I wouldn't be the world's biggest Misfits um, fan I don't know a huge amount of their work um, They're of course I think the first band from Glenn Danzig um, They were real innovators when it came to Like the horror punk scene Like right back in the late 70s, early 80s kind of married like Stooges stuff, Ramon stuff with those like horror tropes and brought it into the 80s really well. Um, but this song is like towers above the rest of their stuff for me personally. Um, I discovered it in a magazine <laughs> many moons ago when Josh Holm was talking about his favourite songs of all time. This is how I used to discover music before the internet. Just like <laughs> artists lists and stuff. It was the same list that had... Um, it was actually how I got into Bjork as well. <laughs> And like his blurb about Bjork was he picked uh, the song Yoga, I think. And he was just like, um, I remember when I learned the meaning of the word enigma and I was just like, oh yeah, that's Bjork. I was like, okay, I'm going to check her out. Um, He said about this song that um, it contains the greatest chorus of all time, which they only play once. And I don't know if it's the greatest of all time, but it's one of the greats. And Glenn's voice, when he's riding out at the end of that chorus, which just does play once, it's just like, he's on such a wh- high, it's a fucking absolute thrill. And he's just like, we're not going back there. We're in and we're out as the guitars just kind of take off into the night. It's such an instant kind of rush.
1: And I love it. Well, I mean, yeah, I- I'm assuming this was Q magazine, was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was Q, yeah. Of course it was. You're Mr. Q magazine. It
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> was also Mr. <laughs> Enemy and... Mojo I abandoned quite quickly. What about <laughs> after select? I think the third Neil Young cover in space <laughs> <of> a year?
1: <laughs> I think select Melody Maker the whole the whole I think the whole they were gang. dead by the time I yeah got around to it. So the Misfits, yeah, I mean uh, not a band I know too much about apart from kind of being on the periphery through stuff like you know Metallica's cover of Die Die My Darling and yeah yeah the Murder Dolls in two thousand and two when they happened along every Kerrang! reader and Slipknot fan signed up for that experiment and then regretted it shortly afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of its own thing, isn't it? Like, Glenn Danzig, these days is off making terrible horror films, and it is that kind of, you've boxed yourself into this strange kind of genre world, and yeah, I've never, that whole kind of thing, it just never really worked for me, but there are people out there who are fucking obsessed. Uh, I think I bought a Misfits patch one day that I never sewed onto a pair of jeans, not knowing what it was, just liking the look of it. So they've got that, good kind of
0: iconography, I must say, good branding. Okay, well up next for me on this list, number
1: four, are a band that didn't really have much in the way of iconography or branding, and I think are something of a a band that didn't get enough love for me. So this is a band called Ruben and this is our song. Fly. I mostly just really wanted to talk about Reuben because it's not something I don't think we've ever done on this show before. They're kind of one of those bands that I think, like I say, didn't get their credit, didn't get their due. And their yeah, English three-piece lasted for about 10 years, kind of went on hiatus in 2008, have never really come back. The vocalist, Jamie Lenman, has gone to put out his own kind of music here and there, which I am guilty of not paying too much attention to, which is kind of strange for me because... For me, the uh, USP of this band is Jamie Lemon. That vocal that you heard there—I mean, I could see why you would love it or you would hate it. I fucking love it. I love his kind of yeah, style. Yeah, I fucking hate it. <laughs> I thought you might. I it, thought it you just, might.
0: It's too much into that like whiny emo thing where I just you lose me. Like I was, I was digging the music and I was like, oh, that inflection, I'm out. <laughs> see, this is the thing, and I mean, like, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's on it's the core taste.
1: It's on every single Reuben track. Like, like it's dominant and it's very much like you can tell. Well, actually, I don't know, but you would probably assume that he's like a fucking private school boy or something. Like, There's just something kind of <laughs> almost very affluent middle class about his kind of inflection, but I don't know what it is. Ruben, to me, like, I think they're quite dexterous. It, they're this kind of alt-rock, grungy kind of punk thing, and with a, a, a major slice of kind of knowing, supercilious wit attached, sometimes crass, and yeah, definitely obnoxious here and there. But I really have a soft spot for them, and Putting this in the list this week made me go back and listen to them. Now, if anybody wants to give them a go, they actually only have three albums. Uh, They have Race Car is Race Car Backwards, Very Fast, Very Dangerous. And the one that I would recommend starting with is called In Nothing We Trust. They put that out in 2007. And I think it's fantastic, particularly the track We're All Going Home in an Ambulance. They are really fucking obnoxious. They are not for everybody. Uh, but I just kind of feel like in the time of bands like Hell is for Heroes and, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to even kind of think of like who, like fighting with wire. I mean, like this kind of like mid to late 2000s kind of guitar revolution. You just never heard about Ruben. I, I, I found them in a magazine. I found them in Q magazine, actually, of all places. And I just <laughs> didn't know you it. bought yeah. Q. Q. Um, oh, dude, come on. Back, back in the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all those lists. It was so a Many, many
1: lists. Yeah, I knew this wouldn't win you over, but. It also was a case of, like I say, there was a lot of other calls for shouty, angsty two minute songs. And in the end, I was like, nah, give it to Ruben. They deserve a bit of love.
0: Um, okay, up next, Dave, after you're talking about possibly the strokes not needing to release another note after Is This It? Um, this song right now makes the entire career of The Stone Roses kind of redundant, much as I like them. But it's not by The Stone Roses. I don't need-
1: This is just you in song form. This is Craig Fitzpatrick the
0: song. <laughs> like <laughs> this is Velocity Girl by Primal Scream. Um, this is like a, a pre um, Andrew Wetterall reimagining them as a dance act. Um, far before the kind of darker and best stuff they did um, on Exterminator. This is Primal Scream in the 80s when they were like doing that jangly, um, like British post Flower Power, um, quite fe indie music. And as I say, like this is like the blueprint and kind of the melody for Made of Stone by the Stone Roses. Um it came before the Stone Roses debut. And I think it in like 90 seconds, with verse chorus, uh incredible outro and beautiful kind of guitar solo that's like it's a song on its own. It basically encapsulates everything the Stone Roses did well. Um which is kind of shocking to me. But it appeared on um going back to music magazines. It appeared on the Enemies uh, C eighty six like mixtape that they put out, which is like I think it was track one, and it was seen in like nineteen eighty six as like the seminal moment of indie pop, um like that kind of group being brought together, and it was I guess responsible that mixtape for a lot of. Um, kind of quite fay and twee genres emerging out of that. Like you had the beginnings of bands like The Pastels and stuff you would hate. But this is enough edge and enough Primal Scream and Bobby Gillespie for me to get on board with it. It doesn't kind of stray too far into jangly territory. You could stop with this and you'd be all right.
1: It's a lovely little song. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's directly responsible for... Like like, how do you not hear Made of Stone in this? Yeah. how do you not hear the Lightning Seeds? How do you not hear the theme tune to Game On? You know, yeah,
0: <laughs> <Like> it's a <laughs> like all that stuff, jangly here. thing. Yeah, no, no, it is
1: good though. I like it. I did consider it like going through the list because I don't know how much research you did, but I found myself kind of unable to sleep over the weekend. It was like one of those kind of four in <laughs> because the of the list. Days. Because of the quarantine, Craig. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) But I was just like, I found myself going on to, just on my phone, like looking up lists and looking up Spotify playlists of like, just, you know... Two Minute Songs, uh, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it this one jumped out. It, like it was the top of a lot of lists and it was up there. Never been the biggest guy in the world for Primal Scream. I think they got the odd belter, of course. Do you remember that time in Hot Press, by the way, when I was supposed to interview, um oh, what's his fucking name? Uh, Innes? Andrew Innes? Is that his name? Andrew Innes. Yeah, I've, remember, I've interviewed him as well. Really remember, remember, nice guy. Like, yeah, I remember I was in Hot Press one morning and like I was told, oh, you, you got to phone up Andrew Innes and do an interview with him. And Stuart Clark, who, who we love dearly, was like... Oh, I remember this. Stuart yeah, Clark yeah, was like... On. He was like, oh, I don't know, don't know, mate. You know, very prickly, very prickly character. And I'm like, oh, fuck, really? And he's like, oh, yeah, he's notoriously prickly. Like, like he'll, he'll fucking let you know. He'll go through you probably. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. And I rang up this guy and he couldn't have been fucking nicer. It was ridiculous. I, I don't know if Stuart, to this day, I don't know if Stuart was having me on.
0: Maybe he had a bad encounter. I, I've interviewed Andrianus a couple of times and he is a gem of a man. Yeah. I don't know, maybe he was mixing up with someone. I had him laughing about the Gallagher brothers by the end of it. Like, you know, we got on like a house on fire. <laughs> I've I've a lot of time for Primal Scream because like they, you know, even if you're not fully on board with them as a band, they've had, they're like three different bands as well, right? Because their sound has varied so much. You can love the Screamadelica stuff and hate this kind of era stuff or like the, the kind of darker Electro stuff. They've kind of got something for everyone. Yeah, Country Girl is your favourite song, isn't it? Except for that That is no, for no one Number three Except for officers. me Number three for me We're going
1: homegrown here So um, a, a band that are no longer with Kings us Kings of
0: Leon Homegrown <laughs> no- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whenever you're ready Craig uh, We're going to go Sorry. To Ireland And yeah A band that are no longer with us Sadly However they did just release New music last weekend And I believe uh, The very handsome John Barker Played them on his Very fine radio show Totally Irish It is of course This crowd The shy and retiring tones of the one and only May Kay, Fight Like Apes, and Lend Me Your Face, a one minute fifty seven song, one minute fifty-seven second song, should I say, an elevator pitch for the band themselves. It uh, really, 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 really captures that kind of late two thousands Irish indie. A uh, few bands did it better in this kind of on this kind of form. Uh, the calling card, the signature, an incredibly fun song, comes, you know, immediately hurtling out of the blocks and takes you on a journey bashes you around the head a bunch and was a huge live staple it's such a I, I to use the word iconic you know the most overused word in the fucking world but like in that kind of run in that kind of Irish music scene or whatever the fuck you want to call it this is like it's it's so well known it's so well regarded and it's just it holds up like it's it's a it's an electric shock of a song. It
0: was great. Yeah, it was always great life. Such a great life band. They were really like irresistible when they were in full flight. Um, I do also think that um, the album title, The Body of Christ and the Legs of Tina Turner, is one of the great all time album titles. It's fucking incredible. Great sense of humour, great energy, uh, terrific bands that are very much missed.
1: Yeah. And it's like, it's nice to be able to kind of like go back to a track like this one after not hearing it for a very long time. And, you know, they got more, I think Something Global is a great song as well. Like, May May Kay obviously went on to the Galaxy. She's a good friend of ours and we won't gush about her too much but it really is that kind of moment like, like it's funny because like fight the would always in interviews or like particularly live ones they would often like throw in like wrestling references and but they were that kind of thing where it was like yeah they were a band but they were also this kind of strange kind of entity all by themselves they were this strange kind of troop this kind of like traveling show of performers there was just something kind of there's an extra element to what they did and on this track in particular i think it actually comes through you don't always capture that sense of kind of chaos but on this one, you absolutely do. And it's just a fucking ridiculous Eagle pop song.
0: Yeah, super, super choice. Um, so going on to my number two, there was a lot of acts that missed out because of like split votes. Um, shout out to the White Stripes who didn't quite make it with Hypnotize or Fell in Love with a Girl or Pretty Good Looking for a Girl. They kind of should have been there just because I think they're the best exemplars of like um, putting limits on yourself and just stripping everything back. That was kind of their whole shtick. Um, but one band that... You could have had like an entire list of their songs, but they didn't split the vote because I love this song so much. Are these lot from Dayton, Ohio. That's guided by voices with uh, a jar of Cardinals guided by voices who are the band that the Strokes hoped to become when they started out in their career, which is just like another example of them, like... um Kind of aiming for underachieving, (laughs) because as much as I love Guided by Voices, I don't know if you'd want to model your career on them. So if you're you're not familiar with Guided by Voices, um, they're a band led by um, a guy called Robert Pollard, who's like a former um, primary school teacher in the States who just like had dreams of becoming a rock star. And finally, after years of trying, kind of made it happen. Definitely an indie star in the mid 90s when he was, you know, hurtling towards 40 Kind of willed it into existence just through sheer force of being a huge, huge rock fan. That also possess a, an amazing knack for writing great songs. And like they created their own universe, they willed their own kind of lore into existence. Their best songs sound like the blueprints for you know really terrific rock anthems. All done in this like lo-fi thing i think once like guided by voices get their nails into you um you're very much in like you just really become obsessed with them uh, jar cardinals is one of my favorite songs uh, just winning melody lyrics that are kind of like proggy uh deep purpley dungeons and dragons nonsense but also then there's like some really like gems in there to just come out of nowhere and kind of flurry of like you know um, eating something wonderful, never ever getting full, just kind of things that seem like non sequiturs, but then seem to mean quite a lot. And that's guided by voices and, and a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I feel like they're a blind spot for me, and I'm pretty sure you made me a playlist once that I probably listened to once or twice and then threw yeah, it like away forever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I probably should dig out. If you still have it, please send it my way. Please post Will. it on your Twitter account so people can grab it from there because, yeah, I, love it back up. I just don't know enough about them. So I'm just going to dive on out of this little <laughs> here. In fairness, I think it's probably a good thing that this list is going pretty quick because, you know, it's uh, meta, isn't it? Yeah. Very meta. uh, That's what we're going for. (laughs) Back to my Kerrang days for my second on this list. And once again, (laughs) once again, it's a band that I think just didn't quite get enough Love. love. Well, that's uh, casey chaos of the band amen that's right his name was casey chaos the band are amen the song is ck killer it's the opening track of their second album i believe we have come for your parents which is one of my favorite albums and wasn't on spotify for fucking ages and then one day randomly it was and i was just like oh my god they finally put it up a cd i would have played to death back in my school days and a band that i fell in love with when i was in school probably heard them probably got them passed down from someone else in the classroom or something that kind of thing again it is that kind of nostalgia thing of like reading about it in a magazine or someone giving you a copied disc and being like, here you go to the point where when they, I didn't even know that they had an album out before this one, a self-titled one. So when I found that, I, it was just such a, it was like finding treasure, you know, it was like, oh my God, there's more of these guys. Uh, also, yeah. much like Ruben, I think they only had three albums. They had an album called Death Before Music in about 2004, I believe. And from that point, it was almost, the game was up really. They were very much a Kerrang! sponsored band. That's kind of where I would have seen them the most. There seemed to be a huge buzz about them just from reading about their London shows and they were fairly chaotic. Casey Chaos came across as alternatively this amazing punk front man and also a bit of a fucking sad old man scumbag in a way kind of Um,
0: yeah I actually they're a band I don't remember listening to whatsoever but I remember them and like probably reading about them and in particular him as the character stands out so like they were on my radar but I never uh, like you know dove in and listened yeah they're very much like this
1: kind of anti-establishment thing I think one of them ended up playing drums in Godsmack or something which is kind of how the career ended up for them but like yeah and I do find myself wondering what does a man with the name of Casey Chaos who had a brief kind of run of being on Roadrunner with a few albums that his
0: given name yeah
1: uh, I can't imagine it is Greg I wonder what he's doing now though but essentially uh, full pelt you know they've got this album has got incredible songs like The Price of Reality which I think is up there with anything that came out of that whole era I really enjoy Amen I think that they're a really good bolt of lightning and it's just very fucking like dark distorted kind of punk very fast uh polished in the right ways i don't know yeah i i just kind of feel like they kind of came and went and i'm glad i was there for a brief period of time a band i would have loved to have seen live although i'm sure i would have been fucking like knocked out or something during one of these shows (laughs) Uh, they did play dublin i think one time and i was not there but yeah everyone go check out that record go check out amen they're a bit of crack you know they're fun
0: nice nice we need get to my number one. And some stuff that missed out was, you know, I was trying to find room for a, a Jay Dilla donut track. I was trying to find room for like a Tierra Whack number. But so many of those records that were just consisting of like fragments and purposely built really really short songs. I was like, actually, do you know what? I don't go to the individual tracks and get everything I need from them, it's usually like I'll stick on the album and just absorb it as this kind of kaleidoscopic collage and that's how I listen to it. So these were all, for me, songs that I can just go to, listen to listen to, and get out straight away. So my number one is a song that actually doesn't feel slight at all. It feels like an epic. I don't know how they did it. It's like, it suspends time and it's utterly beautiful. And it's this. Oh,
1: please, please, please. Let me, let me, let me, let me
0: get what I want this time Haven't had a dream in a long time Yeah, so that was the Smiths. (laughs) Please, please, please let me get what I want. Apologies to people for getting an unexpected dose of Morrissey. But you also got an unexpected dose of Johnny Marr. So yin and nang of the universe, I don't know. Craig Patrick's views represent Craig Patrick and not those of No Encore (laughs) LLC. (laughs) This is me trying my best to, um, you know, separate the art from the artist. And I just, this is such a good song that I couldn't not include it because I think it's the perfect example of a short song done really well. It says everything it needs to say. Um, it doesn't feel rushed in any way whatsoever. It takes all the time in the world. It was actually like the Smiths were so good at this point, I think round about nineteen eighty four that this wasn't even on an album. And this was actually a B side. It was the B side of uh William It Was Really Nothing, um, which is like gotta be one of the best singles ever. Um that's a p- pretty strong two for But yeah, I think it's got like Morrissey's vaguest, most beautiful and vulnerable kind of lyrics that you can still listen to them and go, oh yeah, okay, I I get what he was saying back then. (laughs) Um, And of course, Johnny Marr, it's like the music, musically is so masterful, right? That like reverbed mandolin, um, which I think John Power might've played, but the guitar as well. It's a gorgeous kind of orchestral, without using an orchestra, production and it's, yeah, it's like the musical equivalent of spending a minute and 51 seconds crying in your pillow. Yeah, please, please, let me get what I want is
1: undoubtedly one of the great songs. One of those ones that pops up in all these lists as well. There's actually like a decent enough version of it at the end of This Is England, the film before they made the yeah, TV shows. Yeah, I um, forget who did. I think it's probably like a friend of Shane Meadows or something. And it's a very affecting choice. And yeah, I mean, it, it is... You could have the separate the art from the artist conversation all day. I do think that the Smiths should be recognized for releasing some absolutely exceptional music in their day, and I didn't pick it. <laughs>
0: because... Thanks, pal. <laughs> Thanks, best friend. <laughs> you gotta redo the intro. Because <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah,
1: not touching that. I, will I have say, to. I'm sorry. I will say I'm shocked that... Uh, White Stripes fell in love with a girl wasn't on your list.
0: Yeah, I uh, there was uh, obviously a time when it would have been nearly number one or two, but I think it was just being overplayed so much. I don't find myself going back to it that much. Or maybe the White Stripes in general. They're actually, you know, just talking about the Strokes who I still stick on regularly like their their previous stuff. I can't remember the last time I went back to the White Stripes having loved them so, so much at the time. And I feel, I feel that they're kind of out of the conversation, right? For a band that have broken up. Yeah, it's Maybe it's the, Jack White it's, just it's all
1: about the tours now,
0: mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all moved on. <laughs> the band Jack White that went. The band that we're looking at. Even weirder. <laughs> so, my number one on this list uh, is an act that have featured on one of my top fives recently, actually. Craig, can you guess who it is?
0: One of your top fives recently. Um, I don't know, Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> incorrect. It's this lot. <laughs>
1: had to be the pixies and tame as soon as this list came up as soon as you threw me the idea i was like well that's my number one i, I kind of thought that maybe we would have crossover and i'm surprised that's that-
0: weird actually pixies split the vote for me I had Broken Face right up there because I love that so much that so I was like, ah, oh, I'm not going to put it either on. What kind of democratic uh, yeah, the-
1: system have you had? did you have going this week? I was just like, I, I found it tough to get down to five. I should throw a couple of honorable mentions out here real quick while I, while I can think of them. Girl Band, The Cha-Cha-Cha, which you can play yes. in full because it's only 28 seconds long, was up there. As was Dillinger's plan, Party Smasher, Nine Inch Nails, The Frail... There was a whole bunch of stuff, but like I say, there was a point where I was like, this is just getting very aggro-lad heavy, and I kind of wanted a bit of a mix, but Pixie's Tame was always going to be the king, because, I mean, for fuck's sake, I mean, like, when they're on their game, when they're on their game, there was nobody like them. Uh, much like Where Is My Mind recently, when, when we had them the top five end credits songs, It's just, there's an alchemy to what they do. There's a certain magic, like it's it's genre-less. The genre is the Pixies, the genre is Frank Black. They work amazingly well as a collective. Everything that goes in here sounds just immaculate and brilliantly judged, perfectly rendered and delivered. And it's just such a smash-you-in-the-face song, but also, much like my beloved Converge, there's a certain tenderness here that I think you cannot fake. Uh, Like... I don't know how he does this with his voice. I don't know how the fuck he did it back then.
0: It's a classic. It's an absolute Stonewall classic. Yeah. And big like pop chops. Like they had hooks galore. For all the kind of abrasiveness, they were essentially like a, I don't know, inbred redneck ABBA. Really, weren't they? Oh, they love that. Yeah. Put on their business card.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> right. That about does it for our top five this week. Do you have anything in mind for next week, Craig? Uh, no, you have a couple of
0: suggestions, but I don't know if I'll... I don't know if they're good you've ones, suggested like... I've you suge- suggested, <laughs> Will we tease them out. Yeah, wrestling team tunes, which could be very fun, but also I would need to go back to my early childhood because but, like... But I feel like you could do this. And the reason I, I, I threw that out as
1: a possibility is because this week, WWE were deemed uh, an essential yeah. business in the great state of Florida. And then about two days later, they fired about fucking 15% of their staff. So that's yeah. nice.
0: No better than Good time. man Vince. No and Vince time. is now um, on some fucking, he's been appointed by Trump to oversee like businesses getting back to usual or some bullshit. There was also a documentary which brought up uh, about Jimmy Snooker which once again brought up
1: the fact that he has been accused of covering up a murder. There's rumours that he's taken bribes. All of this is alleged I hasten to add. I know Vince McMahon is a regular listener to the show. Um, but yeah, so there's no better time Don't trade. Don't
0: let Vince take our Patreon money to get into the world of wrestling. The other,
1: the other top five that I've suggested and yeah, I mean, listen, you know, on Patreon, give us, you know, you, you can give us suggestions. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to them. Uh, the other thing I suggest because we're going to review Fiona Apple's album next week on the show is Songs About Food yeah <laughs> which makes me go I don't think I know any <laughs> whereas the wrestling themes oh my I god could, I, I was basically the wrestling themes I could do in like a minute but actually I, getting it down to five will be fucking so difficult
0: I think I'd just go five five times far Venus no spoilers please Sorry um, so, so, Yeah we'll so have a think about it And um, people Yeah people give Reach out and give some feedback I So you're, you're not
1: feeling The wrestling teams Is that, is that what I'm
0: getting I'm kind of feeling it But maybe give me a day To think about it Because I'm doubting My ability to Bring much to the table Do you know what I mean let me think about okay. it. Okay, uh, This episode yeah.
1: of No Encore was engineered by our sonic architect Adam Shanahan. Big Rick Rubin fan, Craig. Didn't appreciate what you had to say there in the
0: back half of the Rick Rubin critique. What else have you been listening to, pal? Um, an album that is immaculately produced because it didn't have Rick Rubin on board. Hamilton Lighthousers. <laughs> You're the loves of your life. Um, it's been... <laughs> Adam is not liking that whatsoever. Yeah, it's been a very New York week um, and it's a sumptuous sound as always from the big man. He's, he's in fine voice. I do think Isabella is one of my songs of the year. Um, I don't know if it's quite up there with the Rostam collaboration and it runs out of a bit of steam, but he's such a joy to listen to. Yeah, I'd agree. It's a concept
1: album about people, characters that have informed him through his life. His family even pop up on a track there towards the end or at the end, I believe. Um, Yeah, listen, I mean, like, it's not terrifically challenging for him in terms of, it's a walkabout, and it's been yeah. an absolute fucking pleasure to have it on in the mornings while I've been working away and the sun has been shining in. It is such a good companion for good weather. Hamilton Lighthouser, if you're not familiar with him for whatever reason, please rectify that. He was, of course, the frontman of The Walkmen. He released a solo album called Black Airs in 2014 and followed it up with a collaboration with Rostam, Ex-Vampire Weekend, a couple of years later. That's called I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, and I think it's a bit of a secret masterpiece. This album is not on the masterpiece level, but ultimately his voice is so wonderfully honeyed that you would listen to him read out the phone book... It's one of the bigger cliches out there, but I think he's genuinely up there and the best vocalist I've ever heard. So the opportunity to go wandering with him around New York City for 45 minutes, I'm taking it. Yeah, even in great. these
0: even in <laughs> these tough <laughs> social distancing times. There is there is moments where he's a little Rod Stewart. That's the only <laughs> thing I will say. <laughs> but no, he's one of the good guys and I've been very much enjoying it. There's a couple of tracks that are just fantastic. So yeah, that's been me. It's been a very New York week.
1: I also found myself listening to uh, Purity Ring, who I did not know were still a thing. And they were kind of one of those hype electro bands of your, they have a new album called womb and i saw the pitchfork review was kind of doing the rounds and the strap line was basically saying that this could be the soundtrack to a horror film which of course made me go all right i'm in and i yeah. can see where they're going with it it never quite got the level of kind of dark that i thought it might but it is that kind of you know in the it follows vein uh, like so to speak and here's the thing about purity ring they do kind of just make the same album over and over again. Their sound is limited, but I do think that this is actually a very enjoyable album. So if you're into... Uh, chill wave electronica with a bit of lift and a bit of brightness. That's also tempered with some darkness and decent vocals. Then it's worth a go. And that's No Encore nice. for this week. As noted, Patreon.com/slash/NoEncore. If you want to support the show, we'll be back next week with a review of the new Fiona Apple album. In the very uh, excited about that. In the next twelve hours, Craig is going to provide me with a playlist primer so I can get into her properly. It's going to be a big week for me, and <laughs> we'll have a top five after we decide on it. So my name is Dave Hanrowdy. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. We're back. In next
0: week. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.